yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. So we begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Sewa, O'Driscoll, Forgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Let's have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's Rugby Podcast. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Hi, Will. How are things? Doing well, doing well. Uh, an absolute feast of rugby last weekend. I think I watched either all of or part of 10 games across the three days, which was good. Not including the Leinster game, uh, which was unfortunately cancelled. I was telling you off air, my lowest moment of COVID, I think. you know, Thankfully, I haven't had too many you know, brushes with it. So, you know, like it's been a pretty handy pandemic in that regard, but it was a tough moment for me. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I gave you a bit of stick offline, but it actually was a bit gutting here as well. Um, yeah, I'd kind of been building up towards it. It was probably the most exciting game of the weekend, really, even though I still think um, they're, you know, I, there's better French teams than them. I was just kind of looking forward to seeing the progress, and I was wondering how the Leinster pack would deal with that uh, Toulon pack. So, yeah, look, it's a bit of a shame. Uh, it looks like a lot, you know, a lot of the rhetoric from the Toulon camp was probably... I'm not hope I'm not too soon in saying this, but a bit uncalled for really in hindsight. Uh, given the um, is the EPRC uh, came out fairly strongly, um, particularly you know around the, the travel guidelines. Uh, you know they were fairly fairly clear in saying that that had nothing to do with them, and um, that they had kind of said, look, it was probably you know it, it sounded like it was the right call, and based on having one COVID case, and we know how you know bloody devastating that can be. To a squad, it was it was it was the right call. However disappointing it was, so um, still a few good ones will to discuss, which is great. Uh, looking forward to getting our teeth into them. Uh, disappointing one for Munster. I uh, was really good for them. I still think forty points. Uh, I talked about the defence against Leinster as being the kind of key issue for them to resolve. To lose some great players, but I still think that's a real a real issue for them and could be the turning point for them actually if they get it right as well so uh, loads of discuss i hope i haven't given away <laughs> spoiler alert yeah no i think it'll... a seriously long monologue there i'm not even yeah. sure you asked me a question i just kind of got sucked right no, in but... no for, yeah, that's <laughs> what you're paid for give your that's opinion yeah, now lots to get into i'm delighted to be joined this week by former international neve briggs neve how are you getting on hi how are you yeah no thanks so much for joining us really appreciate you coming on the show 
as Luke mentioned, lots to talk about. And obviously the, the Ireland women's team back in action as well after a long uh, layoff uh, coming up this weekend. We'll get to that a little later too. But first, I know we were chatting a bit off air. It was such a you know wall-to-wall, action-packed weekend of rugby. Like, you know, what, what kind of jumped out to you over the course of the weekend? There were so many talking points. The Leinster game being cancelled, Munster to lose. There was a load of refereeing decisions that, that you know got people excited. Well, for you, what's kind of the big takeaway from the weekend? I think it's just how the game has evolved so much. I think we've saw a lot more running rugby this again than we have done previously. I think um, teams are trying to get away from that um, whoever kicks the most wins the game um, type of mantra and uh, the philosophies are starting to kind of switch, I think. So time on the ball and, and being able to hold the ball so teams that could put a huge amount of phases together um, seem to come out on the right side. But there was, you know, as Luke was saying, there were some cracking games for sure. Yeah, that is a fair point. Like, as I was saying there, I watched, you know, bits and parts of, you know, 10 matches and I'd say 90% of them were really, really good games. Like, you know, starting from, you know, La Rochelle, Gloucester, a lot of good rugby played there. Even some of the Challenge Cup games, like, you know, London Irish Cardiff, which filled the void of the Leinster game, which I probably wouldn't, I obviously wouldn't have watched ordinarily because of the Leinster match being on at the same time that had some great rugby as well you know even I watched Northampton Dragons on the Saturday like that was an absolute cracker well, uh, key message here get a life <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no seriously I, look I think the, the one that probably stands out to me there that you were you're, you pointed out was La Rochelle um, and actually Roger's interview I don't know if you saw it yeah. with the guys after it was really interesting just to hear his I suppose insights and some of the stuff that he learned while down in New Zealand, you know, and talking about the kind of continuity game that La Rochelle played, we saw some of the tries they scored. I mean, look, stinking defence again, but you, look, you, you play what's in front of you, and Jesus, they once they get through a gap, uh, they're so dangerous, and you can see that kind of, you know, that that mentality. I think that he has instilled in the team. I'd say the challenge for them would be: can they rein it in if it's you know bad conditions against one of the really top teams? But God, they're exciting to watch and. I think just from listening to him as well, he sounds like such an exciting coach. Uh, the most boring voice of all time, but uh, <laughs> and he has the most, I think he's so insightful and the stuff he's saying, I, I just love listening to him talking about it. I'd say he's brilliant to be coached by. And he was, look, he was always, a, he was always way more fun. I think at one-on-one anyway. So I'd imagine for any of the, the, the personal kind of the, any one-on-one opportunities you get to, to get coached by him, I'd say he's brilliant. He was always brilliant at that. Very different, um, I suppose, to, to his persona on camera. He's brilliant to deal with. So great to see things going well for him. I mean, he's, you know, started from very much the bottom coming down to, to New Zealand um, from Racing and has worked his way up and just sounds like, you know, fairly, is cultured the right word, but he's definitely come through a few different places and looks very rounded, definitely is probably a better word as a coach at this stage. So interesting to see what his future is and whether, you know, given where Munster are at the moment, um, of course, Brad Graham will get more time, but with Larkin possibly leaving, you know, is it too soon? Neve might be in a better position to yeah. talk about that <laughs> one. Neve, like, what, what's the view, I suppose, down in Munster? You would have been plugged into the scene there because, you know, we would have talked about it a bit on the podcast that, like, is it a no-brainer for them to, you know, send out the SOS to Mr. Munster, a guy steeped in Munster history, but as Luke said at the same time, has built that coaching CV? Like, what are people down in Munster saying about it? Like, what are you and your, your friends and the people you know in rugby saying about it? Well, first of all, Munster is not that far away from you down in Munster. You thought <laughs> I was on the other side of the world. Um, there is You're stuff the beyond the pale. You're in the hard um, time. Um, oh, God. 
yeah. I've just been done in. <laughs> no, I think the big thing for, for the whole Ronan O'Gara situation is, and what I love is that, like Luca, you know, attests to it as well, is that we, we know rugby because we learned the game, we, you know, we played the game at a high level, so we can understand things about it. But it's your ability to be able to transfer that knowledge to other people. So his ability to coach is something that's catapulted him from being an unbelievable player to now possibly being the best byproduct in terms of coaching from that professional era. I think, you know, he was very convinced that if he, you know, he, it would have been easy for him to stay in Munster, get him an academy, academy job, look at the skills, look at the kicking. But he, he needed to broaden his horizons, but also to learn how to coach. So he obviously got a, a huge amount over in wrestling. He speaks a lot about his time in Crusaders and how that changed his mindset in terms of, you know, you're you're dealing with people that play rugby as opposed to rugby players. And I think that's how you get the best out of people. And um, I think, listen, the place would go into absolute frenzy if he was to come home. But for me, I think he's on way too big and too good of a journey right now. Um, and I think he will only come home, A, if time is right for him and his family. But also when he knows that, okay, I'm at the level now that I can make a positive impact for Munster. I'm at the level now that I can go and win things at Munster. And um, I think there's a lot of other, he's, he's still doing his thing over in La Rochelle and, and it's so exciting, but I think there's a lot of other issues within Munster that has to be fixed and understood before I think he'll come back. Like what? Well, I think there's, you know, the pathways and the structures and from academy level and under, I think need to have a, you know, a, a need to be over, probably tear the script up. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm reading, I don't know if you've ever read it, but Dynasty by Jeff Benedict about the whole New, uh, New England Patriots. And yeah, it's, cool um, it's brilliant because I, for me, that's Leinster. The, the succession planning, the ability to um target players and get the best out of them and like you know Leinster they have seemed to have this juggernaut of unbelievable players that are more than capable that if somebody gets injured the next person just steps up so it's like a constant regurgitation of brilliant players no matter what age they are I think at Munster there's been a, a divide or um you know younger players Sub academy, academy senior. It's never been inclusive, I don't think. Well, from me looking on the outside in, I think, and I think that's something that whoever comes into that new role as head of, of the academy needs to look at that there's a, a succession plan from 14, 15 years of age up to senior rugby, and that you buy into that at that age group so that you reap the rewards out of it at the very end, if that makes sense. Yeah, I suppose because from from Ronan O'Gara's perspective, Luke, you know, do you really want to come in and take on a job when your biggest rival also happens to be the best, one of the best teams in Europe, one of the best production lines? You have to be go up against them year in year out. Certainly, at this point in time, it looks like a bit of a poison chalice. No matter how good a coach was in there. Yeah, like I don't think there's many jobs. I mean, look, if you're going for, I think whatever club he goes to in Europe you know, he'll have an ambition to be successful in the European Cup. So I think Leinster will be there as well for him. So he's going to have to come up against him somewhere. I think there'll probably be a bit of a passion, a bit of competitiveness in him that if he was to take the role of Munster, that he'd have, even though he might be starting a little bit further back in the journey than Leinster are at the moment. Of course, there's more resources in Leinster in terms of just even bodies available. But I still think that there's enough Oh, I've seen enough in some of the young players in Munster to have 
you know, to, to be very positive about what's what's available to them currently. You know, of course, you might add a few things here and there. We've had we've had some fairly robust talks here about what you know some of the ideas and some of the players that they're bringing in, and maybe are they blocking pathways, etc. But what's definitely been shown to me is that they have the recruiting power still. So I think the combination between what I've seen amongst the young quality, of course, you want a few more as well. Um, I think some of the star power that they can still attract, they still attract those those star players to to, to Tone Park. That hasn't been. Uh, that hasn't changed as far as I can see. Um, I still think there's a team there. I, I feel like the coaching is probably the next. The, the, I'm a little bit concerned about that part of things. Of course, you'd like to give him another year uh, just to see, you know, is he the guy? But that, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I think there's there's enough quality in that Munster squad, particularly amongst the, the 23 anyway at this stage, that they shouldn't be that far off. How, the, the Leinster, I thought they looked way off the pace against Leinster. And I thought that was... You know, is it is it players? I'm sure it's a bit of that, but I think it's definitely more so on the coaching side. I mean, there was basics of the game against Leinster that they looked way behind. Like their defense was awful against against Leinster, and it was poor against Toulouse on the weekend. Like forty points. I don't care who you are in your home stadium. Uh, you know, they got that try at the end and it looked like a seven point gap. It was really a fourteen point gap, I thought. And um, you just can't do that. So, like, I'd have questions about the coaching side of things. That's why I brought it up, I suppose. And we've headed down this rabbit hole bit about Roger's career. Um, but it's just really interesting. And it's great to have Neve on the show. We had Keen Tracy, obviously, as well last week, because I think it's really, I don't think there's that much wrong with the club. I think, of course, the pathways could be better. And their challenges compared to Leinster because of the school system and the strength of it in Leinster. There's probably six or seven other probably avenues where people are, you know, coming through. And obviously, we know what Michaels are producing year on year. So there's probably a bit of an advantage there. And of course, in some parts of, you know, Limerick and Cork, the club scene is actually still quite important. And I just don't know if that's been, the clubs and the schools are aligned as well as they are in Leinster at the moment. So there's probably a bit of a journey. Now, Neil will know more about that than me, but that's maybe, that's one area I feel like maybe in the pathway side, but I feel like the coaching might be the, the other part as well of, it, of the jigsaw. Can I, can I just say, just in relation to that, right, I, I get what you're saying about that game the other day being a 14-point game. But for me, like, it really wasn't um, a systematic um, failure in terms of their defensive setup. I thought a um, couple of things. They couldn't exit properly, and every time they went to exit, Toulouse would get a score back. So that was one like big issue. And and then, you know, we saw loads, like two or three glaring opportunities where, like, Mike Haley had a 3v1, kicked the ball down the line. CJ Sander had a 5v2, carried into contact. James Cronin had a 2v1. Like, for me, it's just the evolution of the squad because the likes of Toulouse, Leinster, Exeter's, these lads don't, they, they don't pass up those opportunities. They're so clinical when they get into those kind of zones. And I think that Munster just, they're getting there, but they aren't at that level yet where they feel comfortable under that pressure to be able to execute a simple 2v1, if that makes any sense. Like, there were definitely opportunities for Munster to have won that game, I thought, okay, the last try, bad slipper or missed tackle by JJ, the inability to exit. But like, I, I do think that there were opportunities there for Munster that they didn't take that the best teams in Europe don't pass up. And that for me was a, a, a big thing. But Niamh, can I just jump in on that one? Like, you, they needed 41 points to win. That's a big ask. Yeah. That's a, that's a very open game of rugby. 
I know, but if you go back and look at the line breaks and stuff like that, like and and the the fact that you know against Leinster, I I agree with you. Munster were so poor defensively. Like how many times did Leinster run that little loop play and they all got stuck on the inside and put huge amount of pressure on the outside? I get that completely, but like. That last try, if you go back and look at it, crooked line out, knock on, shouldn't have been tries. That's seven points less than for 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 Toulouse, and they scored seventeen points off Munster's inability to exit. So two bad um, line uh, box kicks by um, Conor Murray, and then who, by the way, had I thought he was excellent. I was there live. His uh, his defensive qualities are so oh, good. so yeah. good. Oh my god! And like I kind of forget because I've been watching so much rugby on TV. But what he does off the ball, but he was brilliant. But he had two poor mis- like of his standards, poor, poor, poor box kicks, and then one bad box kick from Joe or one relieving kick from Joey, and then they get a penalty off it. Like that's mm-hmm. a lot of points for giving up of very simple things and basics that you can control. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? I just think, and then they had their two poor box kicks, look to go and play another phase, to try and exit, and they can see the penalty for for sealing off the ball. Like they're all. Players at the level that they're at, they're all very basic errors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look, I get the point. And look, you're right. I mean, that the pressure that that kind of puts on you as well, and that does put pressure on your defense because you're, you know, you're trying to get back into the game, you know, and it's, yeah, it's just, I, I do get the narrative around that 100%. Yeah, I suppose I'm just, I just thought the Dupont try, like everyone's kind of hailing him and look super player, but I just thought there was, that was a soft one it was in easy. the big game. Completely. Do you know that so kind of way? Yeah, yeah. Lads, come on! You're not helping yourselves at all yeah. when you're under a bit of pressure against a great team. So, look, yeah, I they think were class. Like, yeah, they were. A, they're broken field running. Was class. I, I suppose I felt that. Do you know, particularly when I looked at Wales in the championship, and I kind of said, do you know, they made loads of tackles here and there. You know, they were able to keep themselves in the game. You don't have to be that great to defend great. Um, I would accept it that their probably kicking was a little bit better. Their kicking was very good during the championship, I thought, Wales, for the most part. That does help your defence. You do have to be tidy there. You have to be good in the air, etc., etc. Um, But I just felt like they kind of, you know, you don't have to be playing that great to still win games if your defence is good. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah, I feel well, that like was that- kind of like the first half, like they had a more of a bend but don't break kind of like Toulouse were getting up to the line. They had three penalties. They all kind of got from pressure on the line, but once they were able to just scramble at the last second, now a couple of cynical penalties they conceded as well. Conor Murray probably should have picked up an additional yellow card, but that was kind of missing in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, uh, to be fair to them, I thought even against Leinster last week under all that pressure, their scramble defence was brilliant. I thought... Um, like Keith Earls's ability to replay ahead of time, so that if there is a break, um, he, he's he, he's just so far superior in terms of his knowledge and understanding about where to be and and to try and you know scramble and hold things up enough for other people to get in there. Um, but yeah, look, I think you're you're right. Like there is that issue when you race off the line and try and put the likes of Intamac and 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 you know Aki's under so much pressure there's going to be some you're going to have to live with the risk and reward and um at times it worked for Munster and at times it didn't but um I definitely thought there was a huge improvement coming away from that and felt a little bit disappointed that they didn't win it mm-hmm. yeah it's a disappointing end to the European campaign but just for I was looking ahead then to this weekend Luke and Leinster Exeter absolutely huge game that I know everyone's looking forward to it's, a, it's an interesting one, you know, just watching Exeter at the weekend and again seeing them bully another team and the relentless pick and goes. Is that something do you think they, they, 
they'll be able to get change out of against Leinster. Can they do to Leinster what they've been able to do to to Leon last year in the Champions Cup, to Racing, to Toulouse, who are huge packs themselves? Can they do that to Leinster? I don't think it's as easy against Leinster. I think Leinster, I've said this to you for a long time, Will, I think Leinster's biggest strength, while they have lots of fanfare around the back line, is their forward pack. They have two international packs. Everyone is very fit. Everyone is really eager to get on the pitch and show their wares because they know they might only get one chance that they could be gone from the team for three or four weeks. I think that's the hardest part. I think that's a bet. Like, look, of course, we know all the games are one up there, but that's why I think Leinster have been so consistently good is they have lots of really good young talent in there and they're just game for the fight, which I think makes this such an intriguing uh, challenge for them. You know, this is a really tough place to go and, and, and get a win. They're really, they're such a tidy effort. I mean, what Baxter has done with this Exeter outfit is just unbelievable. And they've added little bits of quality here and there. Your Knowles, your, your Hog. I mean, Hog is just so good going forward. I mean, any team that can keep the ball for long periods of time and just get him into the game here and there, he's just a nightmare to deal with. He's so strong, so quick. The footwork as well. He's got the ability to you know, jump in a 10 if you need him, which means he's got the handling ability is why I mention it. And, and he can release those wingers. Uh, they're just such a threat all over the pitch. And as you say, they can grind one out too. So it's a massive challenge. I, I, I mean, I haven't looked at the odds, Will, but I'd say it's bloody tight. And, yeah, Leinster I mean, are two-point favourites, I think. I'm not surprised at that. I'm not surprised at that. I, I think it, this is a massive challenge. I think the winner of this is probably, to my mind, bar, like I know that it's, you know, Racing and Toulouse are good, but I think these two teams are the outstanding teams in the competition left. I think it'll be, they'll be the hardest teams to beat I think they're the most rounded, the most complete. They can play a tight game, but they can also play an expansive game. Um, you know, Leinster will, of course, it sounds likely they'll be missing James Ryan and Gary Ringrose. So uh, they're big losses, but I think they can weather it well. And they have so much quality. Um, and their bench could be the decider in this one, even though, you know, extra are good there too. But um, I hate to call it either way because... <laughs> It's bloody tight, as, as as you said. The points differential is only two from the you know through the bookies, and you know they rarely get it wrong. But what a match! And I can't wait for just bloody hope the thing goes ahead and doesn't ruin another weekend for us. Yeah, no, and as you said, like the the evolution of Exeter has been very interesting to watch, even from when they played a couple of years ago. The year Leinster won the Champions Cup and they played in the back to backs. Like even from that team, Exeter, like the two Simmons brothers have come in. You know, and, and, you know, Dave viewers in the back row has come in. You know, there's a Tom O'Flaherty in the background. There's a lot of little players they brought in here and there that have made a big difference. And you know, they say something like, "Your know, styles make fights." Like, do you think Leinster match up well with this Exeter team? As Luke said, there, like Exeter's strength in that pack, like that's where Leinster really do have so much depth, so much quality. Like, like I kind of put the same question to you: like, Do you think Exeter will be able to get the same amount of change? Like they get like kind of their lifeblood from from kind of bullying teams up front like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think when they get into that scoring zone, like literally five, ten meters from the try line, their stats are outrageous. I think they they practically score every time. It's very rare that they don't come away from a try from that. So I'm sure Lancaster, Cullen, and and the likes will will have Leinster pretty much you know prime for that. But yeah, look, I think they're class. I think the ability to get Sam Simmons on the ball in wide channels is probably something that. Um, you know, not many English teams do. Uh, they don't look to get their big runners out there and um, it's just a different dimension, I think. Um, he's absolute class. I, I still can't understand how he's not a part of that England squad because um, it, it's ridiculous, like, because he's so, so good. He even watched him last weekend. Um, he just dominates all those areas and, um, and 
they just you're you're right. They have big strong runners across, but they also have the finesse of of the likes of Hogg and his you know his ability to like for me he's probably one of the best playmakers in the world in terms of his ability. So if you can get the ball outside of the twelve thirteen channel, well his ability to manipulate the defense and the, the space in the backfield um is so so good and like he seems to relish and thrive playing for Exeter because they get him so much go forward ball. Um. But yeah, I think I actually think Lenter um will will win that game. I think I know it's away and it's in Sandy Park, but I think the week off last weekend might have done them really good because they obviously were coming off a high at Six Nations. Those Irish guys that had been played against or Lenter was involved with the Irish team against England, and then you're going straight into that um the Pro Fourteen final or whatever it is, and. It would have been a big ask for them emotionally to get to another pitch three weeks in a row to try and get up against uh, Toulon. So I think secretly they'll be probably delighted that they didn't get to play last weekend because you can just bring the pitch back down a small bit and start ramping it back up. So the players are not only physically refreshed, obviously, from a week off, but mentally so up for this game. And, um, and I think... Leinster's pack are the only pack left in Europe that could absolutely match Exeter's. Yeah, no, definitely a fair point. And as Neve mentioned, Luke, like a lot of these Leinster players would have played against Scotland, then against England, then against Munster three weeks in a row. So to play Toulon and then potentially play Exeter, some of them might have been involved, you know, for five straight weeks, depending on starting games. They would have come off the bench in a few of them. One thing I think is very interesting about this game, Luke, and I kind of brought it up last week before the Toulon game, is just the idea of pressure on Leinster after exiting at the quarterfinal stage to Saracens, after losing to Saracens in the final, after dominating in the Pro 14 for the last couple of years. They've they've won one Champions Cup. It was a great achievement. They won the double, but they haven't added to it since then. With the squad they have, with the coaching staff they have, I think there's pressure on this team. I think, in a, in a way, it kind of reminds me of what Munster were in the Pro 14, maybe when they played Leinster. This is kind of Leinster's version of it. Them in Europe to get that, that, that next Champions Cup a lot of players there, the squad they have, I think there is a bit of pressure on them. Yeah, like it's a, look, it's a, it's such a hard competition to win. Um, you know, I think I, I hate to agree with you, but I but I think you're right. I think the um, not that I hate to agree with you, sorry, <laughs> I came out wrong, but I think it's I think you're right. Like, I think the, the pro 14 at this stage, they just look so they're head and shoulders above everyone else, and that one to me would be you know, a catastrophe if they lost that. This one, they've been, look, that Saracens team were so, so good, so hard to, to overcome. Uh, such a complete team. I think, you know, do I feel like I'm disappointed that they didn't get by them? I probably was, was um, that they didn't the second time around. I thought in the final, they were a good bit better than us that year, even though the scoreline was close. Um, but I felt Lancer had a better team and they had a better showing than, than they did in, in the Aviva. I mean, the penalties they gave away to Daly in the first half, I mean, that game was over by half time. It was ridiculous. I mean, the scrum just had such a bad day out. I think they're probably a better team off the back of that. I think Exeter might feel the, the, the pain in that respect because I think Leinster do have something to prove and there is pressure on them. And internally, I think this is the one they really want. I think they feel like, uh, I'm sure they feel like at this age, you know, the Pro 14 doesn't mean that much to them. You know, they've just been kind of won that at a canter a couple of times in a row. So yeah, the pressure's on. And I think, have they got the tools to do it despite missing some very big characters? They absolutely do. I mean, I think the real thing that when you're coming up against Lancer is, can you match that front row? Like, I don't think people talk about that often, but like Tyke Furlong being back, 
Porter's been outstanding this year in, in Tyg's absence. But like Keen Healy, I mean, no one's talking about him for a lion spot. He was brilliant in the Six Nations. Uh, I mean, Kilcoyne obviously was a bit unlucky when he came in, but Keen Healy came on and played, was it 60 minutes in that game as well? I mean, he was bloody brilliant. Um, and I just feel like it's it's hard to overcome. Like the, the two Leinster, the young guys at Hooker, uh, Keller, you've got Sean Cronin possibly coming in there at Hooker as well. They're so hard to contain in there. Um, alongside, I mean, we know how strong the rest of the pack is, but that's something that I think Leinster have an edge over every team they come up against. I really believe that, um, particularly on the bench in that respect. So it just doesn't stop. It's a bit relentless against them. I think if they perform to their potential, they're the best team in the competition and they should win it. So I'd say they'll they'll be, you know, if they don't win it, even though they're not favourites, I think they'll be kicking themselves. I, I really do. I believe they're the best team in the competition. And just on the front row point, Eve, it is interesting because that's Exeter's real source of strength as well. Like Hepburn, Cowan, Dickey and Williams are such a destructive trio as well. I think in the semi in the final last year, Williams scored three tries across two games. Cowan, Dickey got one as well. Like, they, they really draw their strength from there as well. So that's probably going to be the key battle. It was an area that Munster really came up short against Leinster a couple of weeks ago. It's a huge area at the weekend as well, not only just for the scrummaging, but in open play. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the little point of difference is that while Exeter is from three are incredibly powerful and very quick, um, they're big ball carriers, whereas Leinster's ability to move a little pass. So Ty Furlong has hands like a centre would absolutely dream of. Ronan Kelleher's ability to throw a five or ten meter pass is probably one of the best in the in the front row in terms of hooking in the country. So Leinster play a type of game where they put their forwards into space and don't worry about it. And very few teams can do that. And because they know that if they get the ball from A to B and if it's like Furlan carrying, well, he can pick a pass or he can, you know, throw a ball underneath or 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 hit a switch. It doesn't really make a difference because his ability to play with ball in hand is so much better than any tight end or, you know what I mean? So, so they, they all bring like incredible strength and at this level, the, the margins are incredibly fine. So you've got to try and bring something extra. And I think that that's why for me, Leinster shade it because they're, it doesn't really want, matter what numbers are on your back. They're always happy to be out in the wide channels, to be able to hit space, to be able to try and create space for other people. And I think that, um, that is a part of the game that so few teams can get to um, but Leinster are so so good at it I think they're probably just to add to that I think they're probably one of the only teams that can kind of constrain um, you know that that back three that, that extra back three and not give them that many opportunities by squeezing them out of the game and the tight exchange I think they've got the physical ability but they've got the fitness and the, the the belief in themselves to i think take a big extra a big long extra phase of play um and turn it around and still keep coming back for more i think they're the perfect opposition for extra and i'd say you know while both teams would be thinking geez i wish i got them a little bit later in the competition they're a great foil for each other and it's what makes it so intriguing but that's why i think leinster maybe might shade this one i think they're the one team that can you know take what exeter's best shot and possibly give it give them back more yeah, one thing I found interesting was just reading Rob Baxter's comments. He's been in the media a couple of times this week doing his press conferences. He's very confident as well. Like he's saying, like, let's not worry about history of Leinster winning four Heineken Cups and us only winning one. Like, we're, we're the double champions. We're, we're just living in the here and now, and we like where we're at. He's really talking them up, and, and he thinks they have a great chance. So I think it's set up to be an absolute belter. And even another thing... To look they, they don't like doing that. 
<laughs> Rob Baxter. <laughs> they don't like talking themselves up. <laughs> no, but it's a weird mentality. I always remember Owen Red telling us that it's the different mentality. He always said we were playing an English team. Don't talk them up in the media because they get they actually get strength from that. <laughs> Whereas Irish teams, the worst thing you can do is tell them they're shite. Like they just hate that, and then you know they nearly can take their game to a new level. It's a different mentality in both. Uh, yeah, both countries, but it's an interesting one. I'm not surprised they're talking themselves up. And in fairness, look, they were they are the double champs, so you know, uh, they've they've a right to do that. Yeah, no, no, they're they're coming in in great nick, and uh, you know, to go 14 0 down and then to score what 47 unanswered points before conceding a late try is definitely a show of strength. And another thing to look forward to this weekend, Neve, is the return of the Irish women's team to action. It's been a long time coming. I think you know the game they played Italy in the autumn when the when the when rugby returned. I was the, the only fixture, and I know a lot of players who will be involved this weekend uh, missed that game. You know, where is the team at coming into this game? I know there's some really excitement around a couple of new players, Amy Lee Murphy Crow being one of them. But you know, from your perspective, how do you kind of assess where the team is at at the moment? Yeah, I think it's kind of difficult to be fair to them, to, to all of them, really, I think, because they've only played one game in what space of, what, 13 months. So um, it's going to be a, um, yeah, if, if, like if I was involved there, I'd just be, you know, you'd be looking to tell them to, in terms of just be patient because there's going to be some sort of ring rusty because they've had a huge amount of camps. You know, they the more than the women's team have ever had together, they've, they've been together for 20 camps, which is, um, is brilliant for the RFU to be able to come out with that. But... Um, it's very difficult to replicate match intensity. So Wales played last weekend. That would be my only kind of little bit of a worry, even though they got absolutely trounced by France and were you know poor. They'll have that 80 minutes under their belts at test level intensity. So um, from that perspective, I just think that Ireland just need to, like they just need to hang in there. And, and if mistakes happen, not to panic and, and work them their way into the game. But for sure, there's so many, so many young talent coming in there. I'm actually really excited. Obviously, I am um, really old now, but when Amy Lee murphy Grow was 18, she played in the wing against uh, Connacht with me when I was playing with Munster. And myself, her and Aoife Doyle, who's another young girl in the squad, um, were the back three. And even then, I was like, oh my God, this kid's got something unbelievable. And, um, you know, she didn't get to play much 15s because she went into the sevens program, obviously. And, we, and to be like ripped up the World Sevens um, tour like year in, year out for the last few years, her pace, pace is electrifying. What I love about her is that I met her recently over, well, like during the Christmas period because she was back uh, gymming in Limerick for a couple of weeks. And her want to get better and she's like a, a sponge she's looking for knowledge she's looking for like what can I do and if you're in the situation can you help you know what I mean so she obviously has so much you know that she feels like she still wants to get better at even though she's dominated the sevens tour tour for so long that she's thinking well I can it's, it's obviously postponed now so if I can get my hand into the 15s and you know I can make myself and when I get in there I want to be able to take my opportunity so um yeah but not just her I think Dorothy Wall at six is an absolute, like, um, ridiculously powerful athlete. We don't have many of them, you know, real tall, rangy, athletic, but incredibly powerful. So she played her, got her first start against Italy in, in um, October. And so I'd be interested to see how the time went in the squad for her and then how much better she's going to be. So, um, so yeah, there's loads of small little mini battles. And obviously, you know, you have the likes of Kermeloy and Junior that are, are going to be leading them but um i'm actually really excited for this i think i'm loving the fact that it's a standalone tournament i don't like the structure of it but i've been assured that it's only for this year because covid and um 
yeah, I, I, th- I thought it was really refreshing to see them build themselves up this week in the media. I've never seen that before from an Irish squad. You know, they, they feel like they're ready to to cause a few upsets and and get us, you know, back to the top table. So from that perspective, yeah, it, it's it's going to be good. And how like is have you uh, you probably have your pulse still in the camp? I'm sure. I mean, what what does Adam Griggs do to? I mean, what does a, su- a successful year look like to him at this stage? I mean, France will obviously be a, a will they be a trickier outfit than than uh, Wales by by quite a bit, or or is that is that kind of tight enough? No, no, I think France and England they they're like for me uh, on paper way ahead of the rest of the teams. England's obviously professional, France semi professional. That makes a huge difference, and um, the caliber of player that in terms of the player base that they have be so much bigger than Ireland's. Um, so I think you know at the start, I, I think the goalposts must be moving for Adam. I, I I'd say it's been a really difficult year for him to be coaching. To be fair, because you're thinking Six Nations into World Cup qualifier into World Cup, and then obviously World Cup qualifier gets postponed. And then you know you've Six Nations, and then you're thinking, okay, World Cup qualifier is going to be in June. So how do I plan for that? And then World Cup gets postponed and everything gets pushed out. So it must have been really difficult in terms of trying to understand. Surely at the start of this year, he thought, you know, he would have thought that World Cup was his big priority and getting there and performing at that. Whereas now the Six Nations is a standalone tournament. I think you've got to see um, performances. You've got to see an evolution of that game plan. I thought they did some things really well in in the autumn. I thought there's some things that they have a lot to improve on. um, And... Um, and you know, beating Wales, Scotland, Italy's that has to be a given for, for this team, I think, because the the player base that they have is quite good. And then trying to test England or France if they get those opportunities. But um, look, after the first weekend, last weekend, England and France are on their playing some brilliant rugby, and they just seem to be um, a good bit far ahead in terms of their development. Just one question that's kind of slightly off topic, but is I suppose related a bit as well with the with the number of new faces from the seven setup uh, in in the fifteens, and I know a lot of people are really excited to see what they can bring. Like, what's the whole sevens and fifteens? How do they fit in alongside each other? Are they very are, are they slightly more integrated now? Will we see more players playing both? Are they kind of rivals? Like, are, are they kind of competing for players? Like, what what's that really? What's that kind of dynamic like? Yeah, I think at the start it was you know a little bit different um, than what it is now because obviously the sevens girls have had no tournaments for the last year, so they've been pretty much training with girls, fifteens girls full time. So it's been great um, for them because like the, the, the player base in Ireland isn't huge, and you've got to want to have the best players playing every tournament if you can. I am. It's not really feasible to play every seven tournament and every 15 tournament because there's a couple that overlap. So the Jordan Six Nations, uh, the sevens would generally have two tournaments. So, you, you know, they, they'll have to be separate there. But um, I think you should make A while the sun shines and, um, and try and get as much game time for these girls. Like the big thing about, the big ask for these girls is not their quality of rugby player because they're all, you know, very, very good. And, you know, especially the sevens girls have been full-time now for a long time. But it's also about their ability to fit into a 15 structure and how different that is. So I think it's going to take time. I think there has to be um, a certain element of patience. And um, because they're not really even coming from club games because there's been no club games. So they've, they've all they've been able to do is stay in that bubble and train. So they're le- getting their learnings from training camps and training sessions and internal games and like that's all well and good but like come 
three o'clock on Saturday, you know, that's going to ratchet up a hundred miles an hour. So um, it's just about their ability to try and stay in it. But um, look, I, I don't know who's who's playing this weekend, so I'm I'm not sure which of the seventh girls are in and out. Um, but I think for that group in general, I think it's only a good thing that they're in there at the moment because it brings everybody's levels up. And competition, as you well know, in squads is something that is so so important and something that probably Ireland have been lacking at times because generally because we just haven't had enough players that could play international standard rugby. If that makes sense. But I think the crossover benefits, you talked about the evolution of the game plan and, and we'll just even in the men's game, obviously we see Hugo Keenan and Will Connors are, are, are you know, products of that. They saw how good they play for the national team. Do you think, you know, that allows the, the, the management team to be a bit more expansive? Because obviously you said there's, there's of course there's going to be an integration thing and of course you'd like the girls to have had a bit more you know, time in the 15s game. But do you think that, you know, once they do bed down and settle in, you know, obviously you'd hope there's not too many conflicts in terms of, of competitions and that, but do you think there's an opportunity to be a bit more expansive with the game plan because of the sevens players? And do you think as well, because they've had such a long period of training together, will they up the standards in terms of fitness levels and all that kind of stuff that of course you get from the, the sevens game? Do you think they bring those kind of benefits to the team as well? They'll definitely bring an expansive, you know, you'd like to think that they would, but I, I think it would be a little bit mean if we turn around and say that they're up in the competition stakes and the fitness levels because um, <laughs> before, 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 before the, they came into the squad and um, the girls are playing Italy in October. Uh, well, no, I think just for me, in terms of the work that's going on behind the scenes from Orla Curran, the, the S&C for, for the 15 squad, I, I don't think I ever saw a fitter um more explosively ready Irish team um than I did last October. Um and that was before the seventh girls came in. So I've no doubt they're all driving each other because look, they're ridiculously competitive. I played with most of them. I understand them like Lindsay Pete's 41 this year and is probably playing the best rugby of her life. And mm-hmm. she is nearly at the top of every single fitness test, every strength test, every so they're they're incredibly competitive and I've no doubt that, you know, if somebody's walking into the squad and they're thinking, well, should I take my place? Just like I'm sure you were when you were playing. Um, <laughs> I used to hate going up against the sevens, lads. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, I do think the the way the game is and the pathways that are in place for Ireland, I think it can only be a very good thing. And I think the more girls we play at international level, be it sevens or fifteens, um, and we can integrate them as quickly as possible, can only be a positive for, for us, mm. yeah, definitely. So, so what's your prediction for this weekend? And I was listening to Louise Gavin on uh, New Sock earlier. I think she, she thought Ireland could win well at the weekend. She thought maybe a early rustiness, but then ultimately could win, you know, quite quite well, given some of the attacking talent. Yeah, I don't think we've mentioned Bavine Parsons yet yeah. either. Here's someone who, whenever I've seen her play, seems to be running through defences like John Alamu in, in his prime. Like So another person to get excited about. Yeah, definitely. Look, Jeannie Mack. Baden Parsons getting capped at 16 hadn't even played adult rugby and was tearing up the wing and scoring tries for Ireland it's a bit like your story Luke I suppose in terms of her catapult into, into international success she was um, and the scary the scariest thing is, is that she's only going to get better the more she plays at adult level now because she's 18 and she can play week in week out it's mind blowing how good she can be um, but also you know there's, there's other young girls like Enya Breen for me I think is going to be the, an, an unbelievably world class player she's very young still very raw coming from Bandon and Cork and um, and you know these type of players that are that young and playing rugby at that level for Ireland um, is just bodes so much well for the future in terms of just gives me a huge amount of excitement 
I agree with Louise 100%. I watched Wales last weekend and thought they were poor and um, I don't know if they could fix everything within the one week. Um, and um, and th- the thing is for Wales, they're on a different journey to Ireland. They're starting with a new coaching structure. They're starting with you know a new squad. So they're going to take time to, to get together and... and um, and try and get to the levels of international rugby. So they're on a different pathway. You know, Adam and his coaching ticket have had these girls now for since 2018. So, you know, they're they're just at different times of their cycle, I suppose, in terms of um, you know, new players and and, and game plans, etc. But um a big, you know, big thing for me over the the autumn was was Ireland said peace. I thought it was um a little bit you know erratic I didn't think they got much stability I thought the lineup was something that I you know needs to improve on especially if they're talking about you know competing with the likes of the England and the Francis that set piece has to be way better than than what it was and I think maybe if McDermott coming back into that squad I know here Cooney's injured but um that you know that height and that ranginess will be able to get you out of jail it's a bit like a a Devon Toner-esque you know banker ball in terms of lineup so um so yeah look I'm really excited and I and I, you know, I really hope that, um, and I you're, believe. What is there, Neil? What, what have we got? What, how many points? What are we? What are we talking? Where do we head down to Paddy Power? I well, no, I don't think it's Paddy Power. <laughs> no, Jeannie Mack. I think, I come think, if, if if the players this week are coming out and talking about being able to compete with the likes of the France and England, then they've got to expect a thirty or forty point win. They've they've got to be up there, like twenty plus points, twenty plus points, because they put the pressure on themselves. You know, and and rightly so. They are obviously in such a good place and. I've no doubt, like, they're so excited about finally getting a game of rugby and, like, I'm excited to finally see them play a game of rugby. So, imagine if you were playing in it. So, um, yeah, I, I think 20 points plus, I think. But, like, I hate putting points on games and and, and scores because I think it's about performance for me, you know. They've just got to perform. And if they do that, well, it's guys limit for them. Well, hopefully it doesn't... We were very confident going into the men's opener against Wales at the start of the, the, start of the six days. And we, yeah, we saw <laughs> I that did <laughs> yeah, so hopefully it goes a little bit better than that. Okay, just to finish up then, guys, Lugo, go to you first. Leinster Exeter, I know you kind of talked a bit about your prediction, but your your full kind of, you know, top of the bill prediction now. <laughs> top of the bill. Um, I think Leinster will win it. I think um, it'll be really tough. As I said, the few you guys are missing will be will hurt them definitely and take a bit away from them. But I still feel like they have enough to um, suffocate this, this extra team away from home. So, yeah, Leinster to win. And I think by... I think it'd be five or six points. Call it five. Call it five. Nave? Yeah, I'm Leinster as well, to be fair. And um, I'm not going to give you a score prediction because I um, I, I don't really... You're not a gobshite. No, I, I just... Not that, I just... I, I, Leinster could either be like, open this extra team up or else it could be really close. And that sounds absolutely ridiculous. But it could be either end of the spectrum. But um, so I'm just going to go with a Leinster win. Stay safe. Wales, you're not getting away without the. Oh me? Oh yeah. No, I, I think as I said earlier, I think Leinster match up well with Exeter team. I think Exeter's strength in, in the front row and the pack and, and being able to bully teams in around the line. I think I think Leinster will be able to withstand that. I think they have a, a, there's just too much quality in that pack, and I think they have better skill position players as well if if it goes that way too. So I think it'll be really close. So and. As I said, I just feel like there's a bit of pressure on Leinster, and I don't know if that'll manifest itself in a really good, controlled, strong performance, 
or there could be a little bit of nervousness, uh, you know, remembering the Saracens games and the pressure to win another European Cup. That's why I'm so intrigued to see how it goes this weekend. You can't back against Hog again either. You've had some embarrassing moments in the Six Nations. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I was vindicated at every turn, but well, you know, we'll see. Uh, but it's set it to be another great weekend at rugby. In the meantime, Luke, Neve, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Emil, Neve. Thanks, Fair Emil. play. Thanks, guys. That's all we have time for this week on The Left Wing. We'll be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.